you want your car fixed, you don't go to somebody who doesn't know anything about motors. If you want something done to cure you of a disease or a sickness, if you want something done to cure you of a disease or a sickness, you want to go to a doctor who knows his medicine, his anatomy, and all the rest of it. If you want an appliance fixed, you want somebody to come around to your house who doesn't say, now let's see, where do I begin? But it goes right to it and knows exactly what to do to fix it. You don't send a boy to do a man's job. And God might have sent somebody else to do the job of redemption. But there is nobody else in all of creation who could have done the job but Jesus Christ. Nobody. No human being. No angel. No other created being that we may know nothing about that may be out there in that universe. Only Jesus Christ could do that job. I'm not going to spend the time tonight trying to tell you why he was the only one who could do the job except to say that nobody but man and God the one who is the God-man, all in one, could accomplish the task. Any other human being by himself would have been a sinner under Adam and would have had to die for his own sins and could not atone for the sins of another. Even if there had been a sinless human being who was only a human being and not also God, he could not have died a death of infinite worth before God to deal with all those for whom he was dying. All his people out of some out of every tongue and tribe and kindred and nation. Well, I'm not going to go into all of that in much depth tonight. But I simply want to tell you that God sent the one who could do the job. That's the point of what John is saying in the section of these verses that we're looking at tonight. Jesus did many other signs in the disciples' presence that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, 
God's Son, and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name. In Athens, the Apostle Paul pointed out to the Greeks who were out to get him that they worshipped an unknown God. Oh, they had plenty of gods that they knew, but because they believed in a multitude of gods, a pantheon, which means all the gods, they just thought, well, we had better erect an altar to an unknown God in case there's one we've missed. And so they did. And when Paul came around to Mars Hill, where they had dragged him before the Areopagus, the same group of men who had uh, put Socrates to death for setting forth new gods, as well as for corrupting the youth, but those were the two charges, corrupting the youth and setting forth new gods. They were trying to pin this same thing on Paul. You remember how they said, you are setting forth new gods. And they thought that Jesus was one and the resurrection and Astatus was the other. They didn't understand that he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And so when he got up there, Paul very cleverly destroys any conceivable kind of argument that they could have laid against him setting forth new gods when he says, I see that you are exceedingly religious. Why, I was walking around Athens and I noticed all of your objects of worship. And as I was doing so, I suddenly came across an altar to the unknown God. The one that you ignorantly claim to worship, I'm going to declare to you. How could they get him? He's going to give them one of the gods that they claim <laughs> to worship. Sharp as it could be in relieving that argument against him and at the same time laying it plainly on them, you don't even know who it is you do worship. Now, my friends, God will not have you worship an unknown God. He wants you to know who he is. And he wants you to know who his son is. He wants your faith, when you believe, to be in someone whom he has clearly and plainly identified for what he is. And he is the one who is able to do the job. So he tells us tonight who it is that you're believing in and what it is that you're believing about him. He says that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son. Jesus. The name Jesus is the name, of course, that was given at his birth. 
It was a name that came from angels. It didn't come from men. And in those days, names meant something. You remember Abram's name was changed to Abraham because he was going to become the father of many nations. And that's what that word Abraham meant. And Peter's name was changed from Simon to Peter, which meant rock, because he was going to become, instead of the unstable person he previously had been, was going to become a rock. And so names meant something. And when the angel said, you must call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, it meant something. He wasn't named Jesus just because his sixth cousin, 24 spaces removed, happened to be named Jesus, and he was named after him. No. He was named Jesus because that name said what he came to do. He came to save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. And you want to shorten it up, it means Savior. That's what it means. 